Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Today is about more creativity. We're using Creative Confidence, the book by Tom and David Kelly. And today we're going to focus in on the idea of creativity at work. Um, and I think the place to start, though, I want to describe something that they describe in the book. And it's a little bit of a, of a teeter-totter affair, if you will, in the idea of the teeter-totter. And, and I'll try to do it with my arms here and still hold my mic. Uh, so every, does everyone remember from childhood what a teeter-totter is? So you would normally have a, a child on each side and, and you'd take turns uh, kind of launching each other up. Uh, well, the Kellys poor, uh, would like to suggest to us that there likewise is a balance in our work life between true joy, between truly feeling passion in what we do, and its ability to provide for us. So as an example, if you took, let's say you took a job that you really hated and you were just in it to get the paycheck, um, the Kellys would suggest what you're doing is weighting down one side of that teeter-totter, favoring the idea of earning power over really having a joyous experience at work. Then let's take the opposite. Let's say that you're going the starving artist route. Is everyone familiar with that idea where, oh no, I want to completely follow my bliss to the extent that I don't pay any attention to money at all. I don't pay any attention to, to, to how my bills are paid or things like that. Now, you can see, and, and of course I'm kind of exaggerating this to some degree, of course, but you can see that either extreme is trouble. And the idea of the teeter-totter, of course, in the middle is a fulcrum, and the idea is when we're in balance, we can enjoy what we do, and it also sustains us. We're neither overly paying attention to how much money our jobs or our careers bring us, nor are we neglecting the fact that we all have the right to enjoy what we're doing, that we all have the right to feel that our job is actually a blessing to us rather than a duty that we must perform. So get the, you got the teeter-totter effect here. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so, one of the places, though, I think we need to start is, that's great advice, but what's a balance for me? How do I recognize a balance in my own life? And so I did a little bit of research, and I, uh, first of all, I wanted to start off with the idea of happiness and fulfillment, fulfillment in general. And of course, there are a lot of happiness studies out there. But I found a couple that actually talked about happiness in terms of our earning power. Uh, I suppose, and well, in fact, one of the articles is, Can We Really Buy Happiness, was the, the name of the article. And they did a lot of research, and they, they figured out that the answer, of course, is yes and no, <laughs> as you can imagine. And turns out that when people are not having their basic needs met, of course, they're less likely to feel happy, successful, and fulfilled. So for folks beyond, well, beyond meaning below, uh, the poverty level, people who cannot pay their bills, people that don't have a, a nice apartment to live in, people who uh, are not able to, uh, to, to really live well, they are unhappy and would point to the fact that their earnings power uh, is helping to create that unhappiness. Makes total sense. 
Now you might say, well, what does that represent here in the Portland metro area? And there's even studies on that too. They literally get it down to geographic areas. So to earn a decent living, meaning that you can pay for health insurance, you have a, a decent place to live, um, meaning that your bills are paid, you, you have a normal uh, amount of savings being collected uh, every month and so on. Uh, and of course this study was done for a family of four. So if you're less than a family of four, you don't need this much. If, if you have more children, uh, you might need more than this. But in the Portland metro area, it's right around $50,000 household uh, yearly earnings. So that is what the average person living in the Portland metro area, the average family needs to have all of their needs met. Okay? Now move a little ways out of town, move over to Washington, you can do amazing, I was really surprised at the numbers. Vancouver, you know, trim like $12,000 off that. Uh, move just a little ways out of town, you know, real premium here in the Portland metro area. And, and of course, if you have, uh, if it's not a four-person household, if you don't have children or if you're living alone, you can trim a lot off of that. But the reason I point this out is, so how much are people happier then when they exceed that? So they did a study on what people think they needed to be happy. And guess what most people uh, that you might think of in that, uh, that needs being uh, satisfied range, people who are making around 50000 a year, guess what they said they needed to be happy? Over 100000 a year. Guess what, though, the reality of happiness is? Because, of course, they've done more studies on that. The break, in fact, I have a lovely chart here. So as you can imagine, people earning below 10000 a year, 21% of them are not satisfied with their lives and are unhappy. But then you start moving up the income ranges, and when you reach, guess what? When you reach about forty to 50000 the happiness indicators just flatten out and people don't get any happier. They think they might. They think that more money would make them happier, that more ease, that more stuff, that a bigger house, you know, I don't know, fancier jewelry, or well, I don't even know what we spend money on these days. I'm probably out of touch. Uh, but they think that they could double it and that they would be a lot happier. And the reality of all of the surveys is that once your basic needs are met, more money is unlikely to make you happier. The reason I'm talking about this, it sounds like I'm doing some kind of an economic lecture instead of a spiritual one, but the reason I'm telling you this is back to our fulcrum. If you are already at the place where your basic needs are met, meaning you have a reasonable place to live, um, you're not worried about food, there aren't unpaid medical bills, you have decent insurance, the things that, that you need to live, you probably can stop striving on the one side of your teeter-totter unless you've got a specific reason for it. I mean, maybe you have an elderly relative at home that you need more cash for or something like that. But if we're, if we're just simply talking about happiness, trying harder on the access 
of getting that promotion that will pay more, um, you know, switching out of a job that you already like into one that simply provides you more money, those kinds of things, they're actually apt to make you less happy than more happy, even though they might bring more money into your average household income. And so, when we've got a good stable base on the one side, my suggestion is, then let's switch over and start working on the other side. Because my, my objective here, and I hope uh, that, that I'm being plain with this, isn't that it's either or. My thought is we bring it in balance and then we raise the whole darn thing up. We get happier and we get more abundance in our lives, right? We're not struggling on either axis. But first, I think we have to bring it into balance. First, we have to recognize that maybe the next promotion isn't going to make me any happier. Or if you're on the starving artist side of the spectrum, right? Maybe it is time that I start paying more attention to the finances in my life. Maybe it is time that, um, that the members of the household uh, uh, come together in a way and have some hard talks about seeing that basic needs get met. How, you know, whatever that might look like. So how do we raise the whole teeter-totter? This is an interesting one, and it has to do with passion. It has to do with the idea of really finding a calling in life and not just a job. So uh, let's, uh, let's move forward with a joke then about passion. So a man who was once a great actor was no longer getting very many roles because of his age and per... Now I'm cutting it. I swear. Oh, there I am. <laughs> Maybe this joke just wasn't meant to be heard. Should I stop while I'm ahead? All right. We'll, we'll give it a try. After several years of searching, he finally found a theater where they were willing to give him another role. This is the most important part of the play, the director said, and it consists of only one line. You walk onto the stage carrying a single beautiful rose, you hold the rose to your face, you sniff it deeply, and recite the line, ah, the sweet aroma of my beloved. Well, the actor was thrilled. He carefully practiced all of his lines and in particular took care to memorize that one scene. And finally, it's opening night. The actor's doing a, a great job all through the first act, beginning to regain some of his old confidence. Then the curtain was raised for the second act and for his big scene. With great passion, he delivers his line, Ah, the sweet aroma of my beloved. But the audience bursts into laughter. The director's fuming, and after the show, the director's right in the face of the actor. You ruined the play, he said. Bewildered, the actor said, well, what happened? I, I didn't forget my line. I did everything just right. No, you fool, said the director. You didn't forget your line. You forgot the rose. <laughs> so might have to think on that one just, just for a minute. Okay. So, so how does this relate? I think that so often in our jobs, we're going through the motions. We've memorized the lines, but we've lost sight of where the play is really going. So let me give you an example. And, uh, and really, you could do the same example for any kind of profession, any kind of, uh, of work that you might have or that you're contemplating. Because I think there's three ways to approach employment. Now one is the traditional job. This is where you've just memorized your lines, right? Will you have me eight to five 
five days a week or, or whatever it is. I'll put in my time. I've done my training, right? I'm not real excited about it. How, what am I living for? I'm really living for the weekend and evenings and my job is just there to give me enough money so I can pay the bills and hopefully find a measure of enjoyment on my off hours. And I'm sure we all know people like that. In fact, some of us may be in that position where we really have no particular regard for what we do. We just see it as a paycheck. We see it as a means uh, to living, to pay bills and so on. Let me think of an example. Uh, maybe a realtor. If a realtor approached their work as a job, it would be like, okay, I've got four clients today, and I've got to tell you, they're really fussy. They think they want a mansion in the West Hills. Well, they're not going to have that. I'll show them a few places, and hopefully they'll be satisfied you know, I just got to get this other thing through escrow too. I need to get on the phone and really talk to the people in the title insurance company because I really need this sale to go through or I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. Ugh. And that boss I have and my coworkers. Do you see how being a realtor could really be a job and it might be an unpleasant one? Now let's move that up to the idea of a, a real estate agent as a career. So there's a very definite career path, right? You would work with someone to learn the ropes. There would be a, a, a dedicated person uh, over you in the, in the real estate firm. You would learn the ropes. You'd begin plotting out your, uh, your area in town that you want to specialize in. Uh, because you're thinking of it as a career, you have business cards made. You do a lot of personal marketing. You show people how powerful and energetic you are. Uh, over time, you become, uh, I don't know what, a, a senior realtor or a broker or something like that. And, and pretty soon, you start seeing your picture on those bus stop sign backs, right? Uh, do you know what I mean? Have you all? I, I swear there are a couple realtors in town that have bought the back of all of the bus seats in town, right? J Jimmy Grippo, I think, is one of them. And do you know? Do you know what I mean? You've seen those, right? Because you're what? You've raised to the point where you're in the million dollar club. You've, you've sold enough houses and there's prestige and now you have a, a couple junior real estate agents working for you. Do you see how it, it's a career with promotions and moving ahead and of course you're making more money. But I would suggest to you that that person can still actually not be very happy in it, right? What would that person's day be like? Well, I got to worry about my, my broker's license coming due. And, uh, and you know, one of the employees working for me really isn't up to snuff. I need to talk to him. He's not bringing in enough new listings. And, uh, and oh my gosh, we got to stop worrying about this title insurance company. We're never going to use them again because they're hard to deal with and we need to get more sales through here. I have a whole... Uh, variety of employees that are based on getting enough houses through here. So I'd like to try one more try with you though with the idea of real, real estate as being a calling. And if you'll remember LaRonda's beautiful song, the idea of a calling is something that spirit's leading you towards. 
The idea of a calling is that there's something that you can do on this planet that's truly of service to the planet. Not just to make money, not just to help other people make money, but really to fulfill something that is needed and something that is important. So a calling for a realtor would be to help families find the most beautiful and perfect environment for that family to flourish. Do you see how this almost doesn't even sound like being a realtor anymore? My job is to help people flourish in their environment. I am here to do whatever I can to help people find the most beautiful, affordable, and perfect home that exactly meets their needs and will allow them to flourish on every level. I will use the tools of my trade. I will use my own creativity and insight. There may be uh, clients I have that are difficult to work with because they don't have the, the money. They may want to live in the West Hills, and so I'll move them up at least on the slope. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to be disappointed if they want more than what they can afford. I'm going to show them what they can afford, and then it can still be beautiful and still meet their needs. And if they're having trouble with, uh, with financing, I'm just not going to uh, write them off as a bad client. I may even help them with that. Have you tried uh, this other means of financing? There are other things optioned to you. Even though it isn't my job as a realtor necessary to secure financing, my job is to help them find the perfect place to find it and to have it. And so, of course, I'm going to be creative in helping them in that way, too, because that's, that's a part of it, even if it isn't what I do for a living. It's part of the amazing calling that I have. Do you see the difference here? We've described the same job three different ways. And so if we get back to the teeter-totter again, the way that we upraise the whole thing isn't necessarily by weighting down one of the arms more. It's about raising the whole teeter-totter. It's about raising the capacity for enjoyment as well as the capacity for earnings. And we do that through our imagination and we do that through our creativity. So you knew some homework was coming um, let's give that a try. For one thing, a piece of homework would just be, where are you on the teeter-totter? Are you feeling really satisfied? Because if that's true, you don't need to go any further. If all of your needs are being met, you feel relatively good about your economic status. Now, now remember, a lot of people who are er families who are earning a reasonable amount think they need to double it to be happy. Don't fall into that trap. If your basic needs are already being met, doubling your income probably will do nothing. You'll have more expensive things that need to be repaired, <laughs> right? You'll, you'll have another car that needs to be insured, or what, you know, what, what, I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, it may bring you more comfort, but it is unlikely to bring you more happiness. So that we know, uh, once we've paid enough attention to that, we can simply begin paying enough attention to the creativity in how we want to enjoy 
our life, how we can make what we do into something that is beautiful and joyous. Okay, so first of all, examine your teeter-totter. Where are you on the teeter-totter? Second thing I'd like you to do is to see if you can reframe what your job, your career is in terms of a calling. Now my belief is, and I've done some work on this with individual clients, my belief is there are very, very, very few jobs on the planet that do not also represent a calling. Whether it's uh, garbage collection, whether it's, uh, gosh, you name it, uh, many of the most unglamorous jobs that you can think of have a very specific, very important, very beautiful calling associated with them. And so my challenge to you is, how can you make what you do into something that you were born to do? Something that gives you pleasure in the operation of it because you know that you are performing an actual, an actual gift to the universe. You got me on that one? I, some, of you, some of you are looking happy. Some of you look like uh, we're going to have to talk more one-on-one -on -one later. And I'm good for that. <laughs> I'm good for that. T truly, m my goal up here, uh, you know, sometimes you may wonder, wh what is my calling? Why am I here? What, what makes me come here every Sunday? And I got to tell you, a lot of ministers burn out. A lot of ministers, after a few years, start thinking of it as a job. Start thinking of it as doing a performance on Sunday and then counseling clients during the week. You know, having to be a teacher on Monday nights or whatever. That's not my calling. My calling is to provide spiritual guidance and tools in an amazing and compelling way to all of the people that I come in contact with. And I have a sense of accomplishing that with every person that I meet. Now, does it mean I'm always successful in every encounter? No. Does it mean that uh, I'm always fabulous on Sunday? I'd love to say that were true, but I listen to my own recordings now and then when I'm doing the podcast, and I know I have my off days. But what I do know is I love what I do. And it's because it's a calling. It's because I know that I am actually changing the world for the good with every encounter that I have with people whether it's just a hug, whether it's reminding people of who they are, whether it is a counseling session, whether it's writing a hopefully inspirational Sunday message, I feel confident that I'm making a difference in the world. And I think that that is possible for everyone here, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an electrician, um, you name the job and I would come back with you with a spiritual nature to it. So that's your homework for this week, and we're, uh, I'm desperately running out of time here. Um, but I want to summarize simply by saying that true happiness requires that balance. It requires the balance of knowing that your needs are satisfied and that you're making a difference in the world, that you feel empowered and find an enjoyment in a large part of your life. And so for most of us who are working, it means we also need to and can find satisfaction and joy in what we do. That it doesn't have to be something that happens just on weekends. If we spend literally a third of our life 
toiling, we will be worse for it. If we spend uh, that third of our life where we're involved out in the world, in the workplace, soaring, feeling enlivened, feeling that we are here on a mission that's good and beautiful, oh my gosh, we are poised for happiness. Let me close with a, a quote from Creative Confidence here. Let's see if I can do this with one hand. I think I can. Here we are. So of course the opportunity to apply creative confidence is not limited to any one field or occupation. Salespeople, nurses, engineers, all can solve problems in new ways when they're not afraid to be creative, when they're not afraid to seek out their own merit. If you're stuck in a looks good but feels bad position or job, think about the overlap between your personal passions and the workplace options that might be available to you. Learn new skills. Start writing the new story of your working life. Keep searching for and moving towards a role that will feel balanced, that will feel as good as it looks. And when you reach it, you may realize that you have truly found a calling. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life and one goodness. There is but this one thing. I call it God, the divine creative force. And what I know about it is that it is a work in my life. And, and here is an area that I just give great thanks for the bliss that I have as a minister. My calling is heartfelt and loved. Every day it is a joy to come to, quote, work. Every day for me is the opportunity to see the efforts that I bring forth in the universe truly enlightened and emboldened. And as it is true for me, I know it can be true for each person in this room. Each person, when we approach what we do from a sense of who we are, each person here, when we approach our job or our career as part of our livelihood, meaning that which brings us life, Oh, we can soar. We turn the job into something passionate. We, we see before us the opportunity to serve humankind, the beauty of it, the sweetness of it. And, of course, when we're doing God's work in the world, we are rewarded. We're supported. We're emboldened. And so in advance for the, the great things to be done, the great people who are in this room, I give great thanks. I, I recognize the divine in all that is in this room, all that is done by the people in this room. Truly each of us, each of us finding and enjoying our calling in life. And in thanks, I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. 
Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.